for this gathering, Lord. I thank you for this place. I thank you for every soul that is here, my God. And I even thank you for the ones that are not, Lord. I ask that you activate the angelic activity over this place right now, my God. And we tell you that the Holy Spirit is welcome here in this place. Speak through me, Lord. Help me to get out of the way of myself, Lord. And allow me to speak boldly what your word is for everyone here tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I wanted to talk about a story that when I used to read it in my early years as a Christian, to me it was just a story that didn't resonate much. To me it was just really a story I couldn't relate to because it was about a woman that was trying to conceive. And in my mind, I just grouped it all with the other stories of women that couldn't conceive. And the one in particular that I wanted to share with you tonight is the story of Hannah. And we've heard it before, the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, how they couldn't conceive. And in their later years, they had, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, Israel, Isaac, I'm sorry, Isaac. And the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, how they had John the Baptist. But through time and through every experience that I had in my life, God showed me that this story is you because there was something very extraordinary that Hannah was able to do with the prayer that she had for God. And if you don't know the story, Hannah was one of two wives, and the other wife was Penina. And if I'm mispronouncing things, pastors in the room, forgive me. Uh, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a theologian, but like the commissioner said, I do love God. Penina was able to bear children to her husband. Hannah was not. And throughout this ordeal, Penina was badgering Hannah and accusing her and making her feel terrible for what she could not do. And I put myself in her shoes throughout different stages of my life, and I can't even imagine what she must have felt to see another woman bear children to her husband, to see her husband playing with these children and bringing him joy. But even through all of that, her husband loved her more. And the Bible says that he gave her a double portion of everything. And he wanted her to just be satisfied in him. But she really, really wanted that child. And she was very specific in her prayer. She told God that she wanted a man-child. And she even went as far as making a Nazarite vow, meaning that no razor will come to his head. That's the same vow that was given for Samson. And she also told God that if he gives her that child, that she would dedicate it back onto him. And I thought about that. And there are times in my life that I've asked God for things, but once he granted it, I can't say that I dedicated it back onto him. I got in the way with my own schemes, my own plots, my own planning, and I have messed it up. Hannah was, had such intimacy with God that once she gave birth to the child, she gave him back to the priesthood once he was old enough and sturdy to be on his own. 
So she wanted this kid so badly, but then once he was older, she had to watch him from a distance and trust God completely with raising this child and in his ways. And tonight, I just wanted to encourage all of you and ask you, who are those paninas in your life? Like, who is it that God is using, I'm sorry, Satan is using to speak negatively over your lives? And it's very easy for us to give in to the negative talk, and it's harder for us to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And I tell you today that we rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And this child wasn't any child. It was Samuel. It was the prophet Samuel. And he was uh, the last judge, if I'm not mistaken. This was the time of the judges before they went into the time of the kings. And he had to make a decision on his own if he wanted to continue to serve God. And he did in a very, very mighty way. And could God have found anybody to bring about this prophet? Yes, he could have. But he chose Hannah because of the love that she had for him. And Hannah, at the time, probably didn't even realize how powerful her, her legacy would be because Samuel eventually anointed King David. And from King David's lineage came Jesus Christ. So she was very much part of the plan of salvation for all of humanity. And today I ask you, you don't, you don't even know the lives that you touch. Like sometimes you go to work, you're in your neighborhood, and you're doing what you're doing, you're praising God, you're trying to live your best righteous life for him, and you are very much affecting people. And the Bible has, has been written already, but the story of humanity, the story of Christians, your story is still being written. So we cannot give up. We still have to do all of this good work in the name of Jesus. And your life matters. You're, you're, you're sowing seeds, and like I said, you may not even see it in this lifetime. And we're cops, right? We work for the police department, and the way I see it, the image in my mind is, is like a pin map. And when God looks down from heaven, he sees all of you like little lights just floating around in your workplace, in your home, and wherever he puts you. And you're there for a reason, to influence and to touch people's lives for his kingdom. We all came to Jesus because someone else told us about him. So we have to be Jesus to others. And we can't give up on them, even when all hope seems that it's lost. And only he can weave things perfectly together in a way that nobody else can. And even in that trial, you praise God anyway. You praise him anyway, no matter what it is that you're going through. Right now, we have to represent God more faithfully than ever. The string of suicides that has been affecting our department, and more recently, these unexpected deaths. We had the school safety agent, McCormick, terrible murder-suicide. Unfortunately, Inspector McGrath, a friend who died in a tragic motorcycle accident. And just last night, a community affairs lieutenant, Larry Francis, unexpectedly died at home from a terrible seizure. This, it is very much a spirit of death. And 
We can't fear. We can't fear. This is the time where the rubber meets the road. And this is the time where our faith matters most. And I mentioned David earlier. David, we don't quite understand how he had no fear when he faced Goliath. But when you really read the story, you see that he was battle-tested even before he confronted Goliath. And in like manner, many of you, the trials that you go through, the hardships, every time God delivered you from something, he's preparing you for greatness. And after each trial, you're getting changed from image to image and glory to glory. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. And there's no better compliment than for somebody to say, I see Jesus in you, brother. I see Jesus in you, sister. Amen. Amen. And here is David who was seemingly forgotten. He's out there tending to his sheep. His brothers are all the warriors. They're the superstars. They all look good. And to the world, he seems forgotten. But what he was doing while he was tending to his father's sheep was increasing his intimacy with God. He wrote a lot of psalms. He played music. He very much knew who his God was. And the Bible says that he felt confident when he was confronting Goliath because he said that while he was tending to the sheep, he had to rescue them when they were taken by a lion or a bear. You know, I always thought that it was one lion and one bear. But when you read it, it's not that specific. It may have been more. And he was battle-tested before he confronted Goliath. And these are animals that kill instinctually, whereas Goliath was trained to kill. So if anything, he saw that weakness in Goliath. He's just a man. Granted, he's a giant, but he's just a man. And David ends up in the camp. And how is it that, I know for a fact there were at least a thousand soldiers there because he was taking cheese to a captain who was in charge of a thousand. But there had to be many, many more uh, as the Israelites were ready to battle the Philistines. And he goes to deliver the cheese. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath is out there taunting the army of God. These are men that probably should have known God, the God of Israel. When they weren't in war, they should be home, leading their families, their children, going to the synagogue, and their own king was anointed at one point. He lost it uh, uh, in this particular time, but he prophesied at one point. And none of them felt that they could step forward. And that's because they were trusting in their own limitations, in their own weapons. They weren't trusting the God that delivered them time after time before. And David was able to confront Goliath because of the relationship that he had with God. And the 40 days and 40 nights, it resembles the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. There's no accident there. And David confronted Goliath in a way that he didn't even call him by name. And Goliath had a reputation. Goliath of Gath, the champion of the Philistines. And David hears Goliath taunting, much like we hear the enemy taunting us 
and speaking death over us and negative words over us. And David called him straight out for what he was. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to defy the armies of the living God? And we have to do that today with all of these spirits that are affecting the police department, that are affecting our home. We have to call it out for what it is. Who is this spirit of suicide? Who is this spirit of anxiety? Who is the spirit of depression? Who is the spirit of death that dares to defy the armies of the living God? And yeah, he showed up with a slingshot and a rock, but he told Goliath straight out what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to slay you. I'm going to take your head from you. The fowls of the air are going to eat you. But then he ends it by saying, all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. And when all of you get delivered from a situation, you get to say that. When you overcome whatever trial it is, you get to say, there is a Jesus Christ in my office. There is a Jesus Christ on my block. There's a Jesus Christ in my home, in my city, in my country. So I ask all of you, what stages, what season of barrenness have you had or are you undergoing right now? This isn't just a story about infertility. And I can relate to it very much because in one year of my life, three major things came under attack. My marriage, my job, and my health. In one year, literally overnight, my wife of 11 years said that she couldn't do it anymore. No real good reason. It wasn't the job. It wasn't that she wanted to travel the world and do big things. She just said, I don't love you, and I never did. And that was devastating for, for me and devastating for anyone. Just the feelings that go with that. The rejection, the abandonment, and the devil makes, wastes no time to get into your head and start telling you things like, you're just unlovable. No one loves you. Not even your God loves you. And there was one night, I remember distinctly, that I held God to his own word. And just so you know, it's okay, we can do that. In a reverent way, not in a disrespectful, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, blasphemous way, but in a reverent way. And uh, I tell my friend Rose that I'm God's spoiled brat, because all I do is I nag, I ask, and I hold him to it. But it was a bad time, and, and this great sadness just came over me, and I was inconsolable. And in my room, I told God, I said, I need you to heal me right now. I cannot do this by myself. Only you can do this for me. And when I tell you that he visited, that it was a visitation, it was. Because just like that, I felt this overwhelming peace and comfort. And amen. Praise God. Praise God. I, I felt I was in his embrace, and he impressed upon my heart. He said, no one is going to love you the way that I love you, so stop looking for it in her. No one will ever love you the way that God loves you. 
And after that came the sickness. And it wasn't a regular flu. It was a, a digestive uh, condition called diverticulitis. And in that year, probably from the stress, probably from not releasing that anger, because I did have anger, I did have unforgiveness. The path to healing was not a straight line, but the idea is that you have to keep God in the center no matter what. You cannot take your eyes off of him regardless of what you're going through. You're going to have your highs and lows. And there were times where I just felt that I knew that the unforgiveness was a barrier between me and God. But he kept telling me, pray for her. Pray for her. Pray for her. If there's anybody that has hurt you, I challenge you, pray for them. It will soften your heart towards them. And you will start to see them the way that God sees them and not the way that you see them. But in that year, the sickness, multiple hospital visits, and it ended up where I needed uh, surgery to remove part of the intestine and reattach it. And up until the very end, I was praying for supernatural healing. I told God, I don't care that I'm going into the OR. They're going to open me up, and they're going to say, this man doesn't need surgery. I believed it up until the bitter end. And that wasn't the case, but that's fine. Um, he chose to heal me in another way. But it was a process. It was a process because while I was healing and recovering, I had to rely on him more and more and more. And as if that wasn't enough, at work, there was a person of influence who who did have a lot of say which way my career was going to go. I wanted to run another command. I was in charge of the 2-4 for, for a little while. And I wanted another command. I was like, my wife left. I can be busy. I can stay out there. And who cares? I have nobody to come home to. And it didn't work out that way. That person told higher-ups that, that I was incapable. Again, words that come from the pit of hell. Words that if you let them linger, you'll actually believe that you're something that you're not. And the devil lies, the devil lies. He's incapable of telling the truth. You are children of God. Amen. Amen. So you have to see yourselves the way that God sees you, not the way that the enemy sees you. And again, I had to trust him. And the more and more you become dependent on God, the more you realize how much you need him and that interdependence just grows, and you reach greater heights in him. And yeah, this sounds like these are all material things, but these are very much things that affect our lives. And at the end of the day, even if he didn't turn all of that around, even if he gave more, he gave it all up at the cross, by the way, but he still gives more of himself to equip us so that this is training so that when we go to heaven, we're praising and worshiping him nonstop. That's the way that it's supposed to be. That's what's waiting for us. And quite frankly, I can't wait. But, um, but then my career turned around. It should have been over. And then an opportunity opened up. So what the enemy meant for harm, God turned it around for good. Amen. Praise God. And any of you that know me, you know that that's, I don't identify as an inspector of police. It's what I do for a living. But I identify as, as a son of God. That, that, that's how I want to be known. I uh, don't want to be known as a nice guy. I want to be known as somebody who lived for Jesus Christ. 
Thank you. Hallelujah. And I just wanted to encourage anyone here that if you're going to, through that dry season, that season of barrenness, whether, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a marriage, if you're praying for a child to come to know the Lord, dedicate that to God and be specific and tell him, once you give that to me, I will give it back on to you and I'm going to trust you with it. And know God the way that Hannah knew God, the way that Samuel knew God, the way that David knew God. Because Jesus gave it all up for all of us. He didn't want heaven without you, like the song says. And I can't take credit for this. This is something that was revealed to somebody else, but they said that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, some of you know that the place was called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And, and I never thought of it this way, but there at the cross, he pierced the skull, which can be seen as our thought life. A lot of our sins come from here, believe it or not. Sometimes it's not even what we do. It's how we think. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So just keep that in mind that yes, we have our salvation, but he's also in charge of everything else that you give him. He's in charge of our thought life, he's in charge of our bodies, and he will weave it all into perfection, even when it doesn't look that way. Even if we make a mess out of it, he'll straighten it all out because he's faithful. He's faithful, he's true to his word. And don't forget that we're here for the sake of others. So, like I said, someone else told us about Jesus. In my case, it was my grandmother. And she's with the Lord now. But she was barren. She wasn't my biological grandmother. And God knows that if he would have given her children, she probably would not have been able to dedicate the amount of time that she gave to me. And I probably would not have come to know Jesus Christ if she had had her own children. She is the only person in my youth that told me about the love of Christ and told me the importance of serving Christ. Amen. Amen. So even if it's something that you're not getting right now, just trust him. He's faithful and you will see it. You will see it. I just wanted to to read one last Bible verse to you. And I wanted to show you how deep Hannah knew God. And it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Because again, when I read this story, I thought she just she's just a damsel in distress who wanted a baby. And it is so much more than that, so much more than that. And there is no way that she could have said this prayer if God had not revealed himself to her, his nature, and who he is. 
And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give the strength to this king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So today, again, I encourage you all to keep your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let it waver. Times are getting more and more difficult. You have some people saying that we live in the post-Christian era, whatever they think that means. I know what they're trying to say. They're trying to say that God is dead. That's an old religion. You're stuck in the past. You can do whatever you want now. You can be your own God. But I tell you that when calamity does strike, everyone's going to look to you. And they're going to want answers. And you're going to be the last bank in America. You are going to be able to feed them that spiritual bread because of what God has done for you and what he has delivered you from. So if you feel like your, your light is dimming out or if you don't have the passion for Jesus that you once did, today, today, today is the night to come forward, to just tell God that you want him to light that flame up again in you. And if you've never had it because you've never known him or you've never been intimate with him, again, today, today is the night. And we'll be more than happy to pray for you if the musicians could um, just play one song and as you feel led, if you feel that this has spoken to you, if you want to leave the barrenness behind you, if you want that passion again, if you want to go back to your first love, please don't walk out of this place without telling Jesus that you're ready for him again.